All right, well, thank you all for being here. We, we finished up, for you guys who are new, we just finished up a series on difficult questions where we went through about five or six weeks of some pretty, you know, just kind of tough questions in the Bible, working through those. Uh, I don't like to do stuff like that in this class as much as possible. I'd prefer this class be a bit of a, you stick to just going through the Bible slowly. Uh, but from time to time, those things come up, and I'm glad we did it. It was helpful for me, I know. And so uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to get back into the book of Jonah and uh, just encourage you to, uh, as, as, as we go through this, you know, read Jonah a few times. Read Jonah once a week if you can. It's, it's four chapters, as I recall. It's a really, really short story. It doesn't take long, but... But just, just read through it. Make sure that you're kind of marinating in the Word, as Andy Roshkob likes to say. Uh, and, and just, you know, let's make sure what we can do in these stories is, is we, can, we can really just dive deep in this class. And some of the lessons that, that you'll get out of it whenever you dive deep, they'll just stay up there your entire life. And so I'd encourage you to do that. So as we get into Jonah, today we're only going to cover... Uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and I apologize if you've walked in. I had some handouts there on the table. Uh, if you don't have a handout, um, have one person from your table go grab some for you and, uh, and, and grab those, but it's just a, a, a picture of a map as well as a picture on the back end. Uh, for you guys on Zoom, I, do not, I did not have this last night when I sent it out, uh, but just Google a, a map of the Mediterranean Sea, and, and you'll see what we're looking at. So, uh, but I'll, I'll get to that here in just a moment whenever we're, we're talking it through. But we're just going to cover chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, not a whole lot. Uh, and all I want to do today is I want us to, to answer with a, with, with a lot of intelligence one question. And that question is, why did Jonah flee? Right? Why did he flee? And so let me read the text, and then we're going to talk about... We're gonna talk about we're going to talk about how we answer that question. So let me read this real quick. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So here's my question, and don't answer it out loud right now, or you're going to ruin the whole lesson, right? So, but, but here's my question. Why did Jonah flee? Right? And the reason that's the most important question for today is because the answer to that question is going to frame the entire story of Jonah. Right? We need to understand that answer, or we're going to miss we're going to completely miss the lesson that God is trying to teach the original reader of this text in Jonah, as well as the, the lesson that he's trying to teach us right now. So what I want you to do at your groups, as we start off, is I want you to do this. I want you to understand that when we read the Bible, we need to always know what the original reader understood whenever they were reading this text. Well, that, that is very, very important. What did the original reader understand? So at your table, I want you to think about what questions should you be asking about this text to help you better understand what the original reader understood. So, so as you're going through this text, the first three verses, what are questions that arise that you need more information about 
to help us better understand what the original readers of this text understood. You guys talk about that for a few moments, and then we'll get into it. Exactly right. All right. Hey, welcome. All right, well, hey, well, so coming back to the group, if you just walked in, the the question was, as we, as, we tackle, as we tackle Jonah, is we need to understand, just real quick, high level, you always, when you study the Bible, and this is this class, right, I mean, for you guys new, this class, we want to be studiers of the Word, we, we, because we really feel like if, if we can truly immerse ourselves in the Word, God does so much with that, and so this is a deep dive class, and so we'll try to go through things slowly, but a good principle is anytime you're studying the Bible, you want to know what did the original readers of the text understand. And for every year we get away, we get further and further removed from when this text originally happened, it becomes a bit more challenging to do that. We have to put some effort into that. Uh, But it's really, really important. So what we were doing was saying, okay, what questions from the first three verses of Jonah, what, what questions should we ask to try to get to a better perspective of that? Here on Zoom, we had some questions on, well, who actually is Jonah? Who's Who's his dad? Right? Why does that matter? And that, that will matter. We're going to talk about the characters. Uh, here on Zoom, we also talked about, okay, hey, Nineveh seems to be a big deal. What's going on in Nineveh? Why, why, why should that play into it? Which is another big deal. Anything else come up that, that you guys said? Yeah. Why does he have to travel so far? Why does he have to travel so far? Yeah, why does he have to travel so far? That's a good question. Even more interesting, think about that. Can anyone think of another prophet who God actually sent to the people? What? Saul, Saul is a king. Oh, Saul. Saul, you're talking about in the New Testament. Which you're ruining my examples. Any Old Testament prophet, right? There isn't one. There's no other Old Testament prophet who actually God sends to the people, right? They all have oracles and there's different things going on, but, it's, but it, you don't see this. This whole story is different. All right, any, what other questions came up in your table? How the word comes Yep, that's a good one. Yeah, we don't always get that explanation in the Bible, right, of how God actually uses these things. That's a good one. Yeah, anything else? Yeah, yeah you definitely, he's going to find that out real quick, right? We'll, we won't get to that one today, but he's going to find out real fast. You can't hide from God on this one. Yeah. So we get into a lot of these things about Jonah's character, and we're going we're gonna to dive more into Jonah uh, after this lesson. Uh, I want today to be a bit of a foundational lesson, and so we're going to learn some things today that I think will just color the rest of the book of Jonah. But if I had to give you some categories, I'm going to walk through these categories of just questions that I asked myself whenever I was studying this that just helped me better understand the text. And the first category is we're going to talk about the characters. So we're going to talk about who is Jonah and who is Amittai, right? So we're going to get into characters. The second one, we're going to get into the geography, and I'm going to do these really quick. Why does the geography matter? Why does Nineveh, right? Why does, does Tarshish, what, what are these things, where are these places and why does it matter? We're going to talk about world history, just a little bit. What's going on in world history here? It's important. It's very important what's going on in world history. What's going on in biblical history? So what else is happening in the Bible around this time, and why is that important? And then lastly, we're going to just talk about how, why does that actually matter, right? How, how do those categories tell us what's going on in this text? So the first thing I want to talk about real quick is who is Jonah? Talk about these characters. Who is Jonah? And so we do some detective work on this. If you, most of your Bibles have cross-references in them. And if you look at the cross-reference on this passage when you have Jonah, you're going to see that it's going to point you to 2 Kings. 
And there's actually a reference to Jonah elsewhere in the Bible. We see that if you look at 2 Kings 14.25, I believe, uh, we're going to see that Jonah is referenced. His family is referenced. We find that his family comes, just that way you don't have to do it yourself right now, but we find that his family comes from this little town that is just west of the Sea of Galilee. And you see kind of the ancient name for this town. Uh, but what I think is interesting, just real quick, and we'll talk about this later on in the lessons, what's interesting is the strip of land that Jonah grows up on and his family comes from is the same strip of land that Jesus grew up on. The town he comes from is what we know as Nazareth uh, in, in the New Testament. So we'll see how that plays in a little bit later on, not, not today. But Joseph, or, or, Jonah is a prophet, right? We, we, he comes from a family. He is a fairly, for, just the fact that there is a reference to his family in the Bible, in the Chronicles, in the stories of the kings, there's some importance there. There's some weight to him. What we can infer from that is that when the original reader of this text was reading it, they would have known who Jonah and his family were. They were well, 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 well known, so to speak. It, I, mean, I hate to use this, but it'd be like, Name your favorite pastor that you follow on Twitter. For me, it's Tim Keller. All right, so, so it would be like saying, hey, you know, just if I see an article come across from Tim Keller, I know who Tim Keller is, right? I have that idea. Tim Keller would kill me right now for comparing him to Jonah. But, but you, they just, you have that awareness of who he actually is, and that's going to be important. The uh, other thing, because of the reference in 2 Kings, we can actually date where Jonah is in time, right? And so we see Jonah coming up in the 8th century BC. And that's going to be helpful for us to connect some other dots as we start tying together what's going on in world history, what's going on in biblical history. I gave you guys in the handouts, and I'll send this out next week on Zoom as well, but I've given this handout a number of times in this class on the back of the handout. It's that little list of all the prophets. I'll talk about that here in a moment. But you can locate Jonah right there on the far right, right there around 750, 760 B.C., and you can see uh, where he is and who he's speaking to so, and what's going on in the story of Israel. So he's there on the right. Uh, so that's what we know about Jonah. The thing I want you to know most about the character of Jonah is that he is well-known. Not some make-believe guy, not a fairy tale. It's really easy for us when we read the story of Jonah to assume it's some sort of fairy tale because he eventually gets swallowed by a big fish, right? So we, we, our, our, our cynical minds really will go to, well, this is just a story of a far-off place in a faraway time. No, he's a real dude, right? And people knew who he was and who his family was. That's important. Okay, now geography. Let's go through the geography a little bit. So where is Nineveh? Does anyone know where Nineveh is without looking at my sheet? But, but if you need to look at the sheet, you can too. Yeah. Nineveh. So Nineveh is the main city in the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And so today, modern-day Nineveh, if you, had, if you were to go, hey, I want to go actually to modern-day Nineveh today, it's pretty much right next to Mosul, Iraq. And so for anyone who's just familiar with their geography, it's going to be northern Iraq. Uh, a lot of world history all formed in that Mesopotamic region, kind of right where Baghdad is today. Think Babylon, think close to Baghdad. Uh, Mosul, Iraq is going to be north of that, but that's where the, really the home base of the Assyrian Empire uh, would have you know, kind of coalesced. Now Tarshish 
is, if you look at the map, Tarshish is all the way over on the southern tip of Spain. Southern tip of Spain. Why is that important? Can anyone think about that? Just feel free to call it out. Why is it important that it's all the way in Spain? End of the world in that time. World in that time. How do you know that, Mr. Duncan? He reads geography. That's, that's one way. I love it. Well done. That's a good answer. Hey, so, so can anyone else think about a Bible character who talks about Spain a lot? Paul. Who said that? Mr. Klossner. Well done. You get, you get bonus points today. So Paul talks about Spain. And you remember whenever he's talking about Spain, what's he doing at that time? Right? He, he's on his missionary journeys. And whenever he's talking about Spain, he's talking about going to the ends of the earth with the gospel. Right? Spain at this point in time was kind of the the known ends of the earth. Uh, you just, you know, it was a far ways. You look at it, it's all the way on the end of the Mediterranean Sea. Past Spain, you get into the Atlantic Ocean. Nobody's sailing past there right then on these little ships that they had. So Spain was kind of the end of the earth, right? So if you're Jonah and you voluntarily go to Tarshish, where are you going? To the end of the earth. You're going as far away as you can. Right? That's important. It's not just some town down the road. He's not you know, going to the other side of, uh, of, you know, of Lake Hefner. Right? He, is, he is going as far away as he possibly can. That's going to be important as, as we talk this through. And so, so, so just the, the geography is critical. Now Nineveh, uh, and you also see, obviously, they're in opposite directions. Now, now let's transition the, the discussion of Nineveh into world history. And so this story occurred, I said, 8th century B.C., and that's fairly verifiable. Uh, there's some scholars who will debate that, and that's fine. There, scholars debate everything. Uh, but I, I think this is a, there are great, great reasons, and most theologians would tell you this occurred in 8th century B.C. And so, what's that? Yeah, exactly. So, so if, we, if we think about this, Let's go back, so we've done, we've done characters, we've done geography, let's talk about world history. So what's going on in the world power structure in the ancient Near East in the 8th century BC? Who's in charge? Not the Greeks, not the Greeks. The Assyrians, the Assyrians right? The Assyrians are in charge. And I tell you what, just, just for reference, and this is something that helped me out so much as I started studying the Old Testament. We all need to keep a timeline in our heads. And it's, it's really, really important, or else you're going to confuse yourself all the time whenever you're reading the Old Testament, especially the prophets. Uh, We've we got to keep a timeline in our head. And I always think to myself, in the ancient Near East, so where Israel is, and where all these Syria, Jordan, you know, Iraq, all, all, the, all these places, where these are, I always think to myself, Who's the biggest power at any given point in time? And so at the very beginning of, of Genesis, as we're, as we're getting into Genesis, we know that the big power is Egypt, right? Egypt is the power structure. They're, they're the influencing nation of that entire region. The Israelites escape through the Exodus, and they go into the Promised Land. They conquer all the Canaanites, and in that little territory for a little bit of time, the Israelites are the power. Egypt is still the big dog right, right beside them, but, but they're the power. Eventually, the next big power that's going to come about is the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians, we can get to in a minute, they are brutal. Right? The Assyrians are going to come in. What do the Assyrians do to the northern kingdom of Israel? 
They destroy it, right? We'll talk about that in a second. So the Assyrians destroy the northern kingdom. Who defeats the Assyrians? His name's Nebuchadnezzar. The Babylonians, right? King Nebuchadnezzar comes through, destroys the Assyrians, conquers, the, 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 conquers Judah, uh, destroys the temple, sends the people of Israel into exile, right? They're there for 70 years. Babylon is the greatest nation in the history of the world. All these nations consider themselves at the point in time that they're in power of the ancient Near East, the greatest in the history of the world in their right. The Assyrians were the greatest empire in the history of the world at this point in time. The Babylonians, when they defeated the Assyrians, were the most powerful in the history of the world at that point in time. Who came and defeated the Babylonians? The Persians. So we learn about Esther, right, in, in, in that story. And then Nehemiah and Ezra go back to Jerusalem under the Persians, and they're allowed to rebuild the wall in the temple. And the Persians are pretty cool with the Israelites going back to their homeland, right? So if you've ever seen the movie 300, right, and, and uh, you, see, you see this great Persian king, that's a real dude, right? He's a real guy. He's actually in the Bible. He's married to Esther. So, so we won't get into all that. But anyway, so, so the Persians are in charge at this point. Then who comes and defeats the Persians? Battle of Marathon and all that good stuff. The Greeks, Alexander the Great and all that. They come and they defeat the Persians. Who eventually assimilates the Greeks into society? The Romans, right? The Romans are the big power. So when Jesus comes around, the Romans are in charge. So I always keep that timeline in my head. And it's a very helpful timeline. The Assyrians to the Babylonians to the Persians to the Greeks to the Romans. Right now we're in the time of the Assyrians, right? The time of the Assyrians. And we need to understand that. And the Assyrians were brutal, absolutely brutal. I sent you a couple links last night to the uh, British Museum of History where you can see all kinds of original artifacts from the Assyrians, really cool stuff. But I just want you to read some quotes that we have from manuscripts and different documents that have been uh, kept from some of the leaders of the Assyrian Empire over the, over the centuries. So I'm just going to read you. I'm not going to tell you who they're from and everything, but uh, just... It's kind of progression of different uh, Assyrian Empire leaders. This one said, I stormed the mountain peaks and took them. In the midst of the mighty mountain, I slaughtered them. With their blood, I dyed the mountain red like wool. The heads of their warriors I cut off, and I formed them into a pillar over their ancient city. Their young men and their maidens I burned in the fire. I flayed them. His skin I spread upon the wall of the city. This guy also wrote about mutilating all the bodies of live captives. Uh, now, Shalmaneser II, who is going to be right before Jonah's time, he boasted of his cruelties. He said, a pyramid of heads I reared in front of his city. Their youths and their maidens I burn up in the flames. Then Sennacherib, who's going to come in the time of Hezekiah and Isaiah, said, I cut their throats like lambs. I cut off their precious lives as one cuts a string. Like the many waters of the storm I made, I made of their gullets and entrails run down upon the wide earth. Their hands I cut off. This next guy comes through and he goes, he goes I pierced his chin with my keen hand dagger. Through his jaw I passed a rope, put a dog chain upon him, and made him occupy a kennel. I mean, these, these, these dudes are legit evil. Uh, the last guy, the last guy said this, uh, he goes, I am a great king, the mighty king, the king of the universe, king of Assyria, the great gods magnified my name. They made my rule powerful. I am powerful. I am all powerful. I am a hero. I am gigantic. I am colossal. I am honored. I am magnified. I am without equal among all kings. I am the chosen one. Right? So, I mean, I just want you to get a feel. Yes, sir. Oh, that's a great question. I can't remember which, I can't remember what their religious deity structure was for the Assyrians. 
but they, they ruled, what's that? I know that, yeah, they were probably polytheistic. I'm not sure exactly who it was, but they ruled with fear, though. So, and we've talked about this a little bit with the Assyrians before, but they had this great hall that would lead to their throne room. And when you would walk through this great hall, and you can see some pictures of this in the link I sent out, you'd walk through the great hall. They'd have all these images sketched in of what they had done to the people who crossed them. Right? And they would leave these bodies that had been flayed and mutilated on the walls so people could see what had been done to the people who crossed them. Right? These dudes are crazy. They are brutal. So, like uh, somebody, I think on Zoom, I think it was Scott, said, if you're living in this time, right, if you're living in this time, you're in Israel at this time, and you've got this massive power up in the north in the Assyrians, Right, and you know all these things. Like these guys have been like this for centuries. What do you think of the Assyrians? Yeah, They're scary. Right, they're crazy. They're crazy. So, uh, so in the world, I want you to know that these guys are the best, the biggest, the baddest in the world right now, and they are brutal. That's what we need to understand. The original readers of this text would have known that. Okay. So now, what's going on? So that's world history. What's going on right now in the nation of Israel, right? So let's get deep into this individual reader. What else is going on in the nation of Israel? And so this is where it's helpful, if you can, turn in that note page I gave you. And for you guys on Zoom, it's that file that I've used before. And like I said, I apologize. I'll send this out to you all. Um, Look on that note page. And what you always need to understand when you're reading the Old Testament in particular is... Where are we in biblical history? And so we understand that the people, you know, like I said, just real quick on this, the people came into the promised land. God would raise up judges who would help rule over the people. Eventually the people got tired of that and they demanded a king. God gave them a king named Saul. He was pretty horrible. Then, then he raised up David to take Saul's place. David was an awesome king, made a few mistakes that cost him dearly, but he was a great king. His son Solomon was pretty awesome too, ruled in a time of peace, then had too many wives, uh, had too much money, too much peacetime. He went down a bad path toward the end of his life, uh, raised a pretty horrible son named Rehoboam. Uh, that son took the throne, and whenever Rehoboam took the front throne, all that Solomon's advisors told Rehoboam, they said, hey man, just be cool to these guys, and they will worship you forever. But lighten their load just a little bit. Rehoboam instead listens to his friends who say, hey, no, you need to be harsh with these people. And so he listens to his friends. He gets harsh with the people. The people say, pretty much, man, we're not going to worship you. We're not going to follow you. We're going our own way. And at that point in time, the nation of Israel splits into two. Right? So you get the, t- the ten tribes in the north and the two tribes in the south. And so the northern tribes we call Israel. The tribes in the south we call Judah. And so we will see in all the Old Testament this back and forth between what's going on in the north, what's going on in the south, how they interplay. And so what we need to understand is who is Jonah talking to at what point in time? And if you look at this map, I love this, because down the right-hand side, you'll see all the kings of Israel of the northern kingdom. And you'll see that Jonah is a prophet who is speaking to the kings and the people in the northern kingdom of Israel at this point in time. So, so we've got that dynamic going on. So he's in the north. Now, other Bible stories interplaying with this text. So if you, if you understand that, um, you're going to see that Jonah comes in 
after one person that we can trace both in the Bible and in world history pretty easily. And that's a king of Israel named Jehu. And I don't, does anyone remember the Jehu lesson we did in this class? By chance, if you do, you get bonus points in heaven. Anyone remember that one? No. Do anyone remember the lesson I did where I... I, I uh, yeah, so this, this lesson, I called it the Godfather, part one, two, and three. And it was Jehu as, an approx- as how he followed the line of the Godfather. No one remembers this lesson. It was great. I really enjoyed it. Who else teaches a lesson where we, we follow the plot of the Godfather all the way through? Jehu follows the plot of the Godfather. Jehu was, was ruthless. He took care of all family business. He killed everybody. He, I mean, it's just really fascinating story. He killed lots and lots of people, consolidated power, took control. But the thing he did, he killed so many people. He killed all the people who were helpful in the running of an administration of a nation. And so slowly and surely, all the, the people who helped with the treasury and the people who helped with military strategy, it's kind of like, you know, how... I'm not going to say this. It's kind, of, it's kind of like if you had a president who just liked to fire everybody all the time, right? Eventually, you're going to fire all the people. Don't read too much into that, by the way. Eventually, you're going to, you're going to fire everybody who actually is any help. And so Jehu killed everybody who was any help. And so his kingdom started to weaken from within. And as his kingdom of Israel started to weaken through within, guess who was emerging as a world power? The Assyrians. And the Assyrians saw the weakness of Israel and started coming in and started attacking Israel. And so if you go to the Museum of History in, uh, in, in London, you'll find this black ob- obelisk. And on that black obelisk, there is a, a picture of Jehu bowing down before the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria is saying Jehu was a tribute. He was, Israel became a vassal kingdom of the Assyrian Empire. They had to send them money, right, all the time to, to preserve their peace. And so we see that in the Bible, and we see it occurring in world history, the two coinciding. And that happened just a few generations before the time of Jonah. So what we understand for what's going on in the Bible, if you're a person living in Israel right now, you have been subject to the rule of the Assyrians, taking a lot of your hard-earned money and sending it north to the Assyrians, afraid of your life, probably pretty angry at the Assyrians, for, for many generations leading up to the time of Jonah. Does that make sense? So that's where, that's where the biblical history uh, really comes into play. Now, I always ask myself whenever I'm studying the text, what else is occurring that's going to occur right after, that will at least help shape my thinking on this. And so if you go to that, that little handout again, I'm sorry again for the guys on Zoom. If you go to that little handout, and if you take your finger on Jonah, and you go all the way over to the left, you're going to come up, and you're going to see that Jonah is prophesying right before the time of Isaiah. And one of the most famous stories, right, one of the most famous stories in the time of Isaiah was when the Assyrians had already conquered the northern kingdom, and the Assyrians are trying to conquer Judah, right? So they're trying to go after Jerusalem, and all the little villages all around Jerusalem have been invaded, but but Jerusalem itself is standing. And Isaiah goes to Hezekiah. Hezekiah says, what do I do? And he says, pray to God to protect us. And then God, in this magnificent way, destroys a couple hundred thousand Assyrian soldiers and preserves Jerusalem. Right, so I just want you to know that this theme of the Assyrians being, being a very relevant part 
of the entire biblical narrative up to this point is really, really evident. So when you hear Nineveh, anytime you hear Nineveh in the Bible, I want you to think Assyrian Empire. I want you to think brutality. I want you to think attack and fear. The Assyrians are the people who eventually destroy the ten, king, the, the, the ten tribes of Israel, right? The northern tribes, and they try to destroy the southern kingdom of Judah, right? But they fail. God protects his remnant. He protected his people. So that's what's going on in overall context of the story. So let me recap real quick. I'm going to let you go back to your tables. So we know the characters. We know that Jonah is important. His family's important. They're well known. We're trying to answer the question, what did the original reader understand, right? We know that the geography is important. We know that Nineveh's this way. We know that, that Tarshish is all the way the other way on the other side of the earth. We know that there's a lot going on in world history and the Assyrians are important. We know that they're brutal. We know that, they, that Israel has been a vassal state and there's probably been lots of stuff done by the Assyrians to the Israelites already at this point in time in history and we know that that is just going to perpetuate and get worse and worse and worse right those are the things we understand that the original reader of this text would understand so understanding that context why did jonah flee talk about that talk about that at your tables and we'll come back and we'll see if you're right or not well we'll see if i'm right we'll see all right well let's let's bring it back so last night, I was going to teach this lesson to my kids before they went to bed. And, um, and I actually find that if I, can teach, if I can teach a lesson to my kids in five minutes, I can only do it with you guys in 35. So it's uh, read into that however you want, right? But, it's, uh, but I, was, I was doing a very short form version of this lesson with my kids. And so here's how I started out the lesson. I went into, I went into uh, the bedroom. I go, Easton, my son, he's 10. I go, Easton, I've got a question for you. Now, Easton's an OU fan, and, uh, and he's an OU fan just because I'm an OU fan. And he'll get over it eventually, right? But, but he's an OU fan. And I go into him, I go, hey, Easton, let me ask you a question. He goes, yeah, Dad. I go, if I told you right now, being a loving father, that I needed you to go down to Austin, Texas this Saturday, and I needed you to go into the stands... I needed you to put a University of Texas football shirt on, and I needed you to cheer for the University of Texas football team so that hopefully good things would happen to them. What would you do? And he looked back at me, and this grimace came on his face, and he goes, I would tell you no. <laughs> and I go, well, why would you tell me no? And he looked at me, and he goes, you know, horns down, right? Horns down. And I go, what? He goes, he goes, they don't need anyone cheering for them. And, and, and just, and just kind of got this angry. And I go, Easton, why do, you, why do you feel that way about the University of Texas football team? He goes, I hate them, Daddy. I hate them. <laughs> so then I go, all right, well, hold on. Samantha, Samantha, come in here. Samantha could care less about football, right? Could care less about football. Samantha, come here. Got a question for you. If I were to ask you, I asked her the same question. She goes, I wouldn't do that, Daddy. And I go, why not? She goes, and she gave me the horns down symbol, right? <laughs> And I just thought to myself, I was like, these are 10-year-old kids who go to a Christian school, are the son, of, son and daughter of a pastor, right? And there is that much hatred in their hearts for a football team, right? For a football team. Jonah, here's the thing. Hey, they, yeah, apparently. So, 
I was always taught, I was always taught when I was reading this story that Jonah fled because he was scared to death. Jonah wasn't scared. You'll read in this story, Jonah's never scared in this story. He's not even scared when they say to throw him off the boat, right? He's not scared. He hates, he hates the Ninevites. He hates them so much, right? He hates them. He hates them worse than when some of our OU fans hate Texas, right? He hates them. Why does he hate them, right? Look what they've done. They've been brutal. They've, they've, they've taxed them. They've taken their money. He grew up in a culture that hated them. He grew up with a dad who hated them, right? He grew up to hate the Ninevites. And so when God said, arise, Jonah, go to the Ninevites, I have something to tell them, he fled in the other direction as fast as he could because he thought that God actually was powerful enough to do good things for the Ninevites. And he hated them that bad, that bad, that he refused to do it. So he fled to the end of the earth, knowing that God's still powerful. We'll get into all this. End of the earth, right? So that he would not allow God's will to come to fruition through him. He hated them that bad. Right? That hatred is going to fuel the rest of what we understand in the book of Jonah. And here's the thing. If the son of a prophet, if a prophet himself had that much hatred for someone, some, a man of God had that much hatred for some of God's creation, do you think we can't harbor that same level of hatred? If my beautiful, darling, 10-year-old children have that much hatred for a football team, do you think we can't harbor that same level of hatred? Right? And we'll see in the story of Jonah as we go through, his heart does not easily get changed. His heart really never changes. Right? We have that within us. Our sinful, fallen nature will, will, will harbor that resentment and that hatred so much more than you realize. And so here's my application for today. I want you to see that Jonah, God overcomes all this, and we'll get into this, but Jonah almost missed out right, on playing a part in one of the most incredible things that ever occurred in the history of ministry because of how much he didn't like another group of people. Right? And, and we're all going to have these moments, not necessarily as big as Jonah did. We're going we're to talk about how this all plays out, but we're going to have these moments where God's going to ask you to go, to go do something, to go serve someone, to go love someone, to go do something. Right? And we may not even realize it, but we may have a hatred that prevents us from doing that. And so if you remember our lesson from last week, we talked about overcoming sin. We talked about overcoming the, these, these things within, within us. One thing we, we talked about that I would, I would echo today is that to fix this problem, we can't just say, I'm going to stop hating, right? I'm going to stop. You can't. You can't stop. You have to take off the old self and put on the new self. Put on the new self. You, you cannot try harder to stop doing something. A life in Christ means we must surrender harder surrender daily and then we will watch and as we surrender daily god will change things he will rewire things he will change that 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 hardness of our heart and he will soften it and he will use it right the, this passage i'm going to end on it comes in the book of mark and it's jesus describing the kingdom of god and he's describing how god changed the hearts of man 
right? Let me read this. It's Mark chapter 4, verse 26 through 29. And Jesus said, The kingdom of God is if, if a man should sat, scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first a blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. As you surrender daily, just like we don't understand how the seed grows, how, how the plants grow, just how we don't understand, we don't see it occurring, but we see it over time happen, God will change our hearts. The story of Jonah, and I'm going to steal Tim Keller's words on this. He tweeted this this morning, probably just for us, right? The story of Jonah stands as a warning that human hearts never change quickly or easily, even when someone is a prophet of God, right? The human heart never changes easily or quickly, even when you're a prophet of God, right? It takes daily surrender. But this is a warning for us. We need to know that hatred is there. That hatred for people God may be sending us to is there. It's conditioned through us, through history, through culture, through all these different things. It's there. Surrender to God daily. Let's watch what God does with us as we do that. Make sense? All right. A lot of history today just to get to that point, uh, but I appreciate it. Keep all that context in your head as we go through the rest of the story. Yeah. Yeah, it was funny though. I'll, I'll say, my kids. After I went through that, my Easton goes. He goes, Dad, why'd you ask me that question? And I go, Let's go do our Bible study. And so I read this 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 passage in Jonah. And I go, Why did you think Jonah didn't want to go to the Ninevites? And he looks at me and he goes, I see what you did, Dad. So uh, so anyway, if he got it, we can all get it. But I I, I gotta say, be careful of the warning we get from this story. Guard our hearts. Let's watch ourselves. It's there. Let's be mindful. All right, let me pray for us. We'll get out here today. Father, I thank you so much again for these men. Thank you for this story of Jonah. I know we're going to unpack so much, but what a great warning. What a great lesson you gave us today. Uh, thank you for that. Thank you for the wisdom that comes through your word. May you watch over these men. May they go out into the world with softer hearts today. Uh, may you make it clear to them what it is you're asking of them, and may you give them the strength and the courage uh, to go do that. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys.